Our text this morning is in the worship guide. It's Exodus 20, verse 13, the sixth commandment. And as you know, we are going through the Ten Commandments this spring. And what we are looking at is how a Christian is to approach the moral law. And one thing I've said a few times is kind of an illustration that's helped me is I'm not great at home repairs. So if, you know, if someone were to say, what home repairs do you want to make? I would not have very many knowing that I would have to do them. But if someone showed up and said, I will pay for them and I'll hire the contractor, I could come up with a large laundry list of things we would like to get done. And so the reason is, um, is that I want to have someone else come in and rescue me and, and make this happen. Well, the gospel does that. The gospel says you are not condemned, right? You are not condemned. So now we can look at the law as Christians and see the beauty and the freedom that we read the psalmist talk about in Psalm 19 and 119. And so we are on the second table of the law now. We're looking at our fellow man in the passage again, Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise that you have created a world where we could cease to murder, Lord. We long for the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more death and no more mourning. And in the meantime, as we usher in the new heavens and the new earth, we pray as your church that we would be the leaders of not murdering, Lord, through our words, through our actions, through our motives. And I pray this morning through your spirit that we would understand in a, in a unique way how the gospel might open up our hearts to see this command and to glorify you by obeying it. In your name we pray, amen. Well, it's a, a sermon on murder, so I figured I could start by talking about serial killers, right? That should be apropos since it's murder. Uh, I'm not going to talk very much about them, but anytime there's some area in the country that has a serial killer on the loose, you get the FBI profiler. And that FBI profiler is interviewed, and they start explaining not just the forensic information that connects the actual murders, but they start going into the psychology behind this person, this whoever the person might be. They don't know. Maybe someone in the room. How weird would that be to find that out? That's, I'm sorry. That's not even funny. Um, but now, as you know, we're diving into murder. I think you know. We're going to talk about how everyone in this room really does engage in a type of murder, right? We, we do engage in anger and malice. And so like the serial killer, we have a psychological profile, right? What we do is we murder when somebody steps in the way of what we're after. That's what springs us to action. And so what we find in the gospel is that because Christ is your righteousness, because you are completely whole in Christ, you and I are now free to no longer murder. To say it in a more positive way, we are now free to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is what God's calling us to do. That is the positive. So, what we're going to look at is what is murder. The, we're going to look at the definition first, the root cause of murder, and then finally, how to end murder. Are you all tired of the word? We had a friend uh, who said that his PE teacher, when he made them run, would say, I've got two words for you, murder. So that's all I have in my head as I say it. Okay, it was a south, somewhere in Oklahoma, a small town. Okay, what is murder? The definition of murder. Some translations say, thou shalt not kill. But the actual Hebrew word for murder in this passage 
is rasa, which is always uh, at least 46 out of 47 times dealing with one human killing another human, and it never references war or capital punishment or self-defense. It, it most often denotes a plan or premeditated murder in the form of revenge. So, murder, physically speaking, is, is the intentional act of taking a life. And, and in the Ten Commandments, right away when Moses delivers them, he also delivers the civil law, which is the extrapolation of the Ten Commandments. So, we know, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute, but it's not just don't murder, it also has other uses we'll get to in a few minutes, that even at the time, they knew immediately how to apply it to other areas of civil life. But the question is, why is it such a major issue? I mean, I think it's kind of obvious. But what we're finding as we go through each of these commandments is that there's a sense in which in each one we remove God. They all are God removal strategies, right? The first commandment is to, is to worship a different God, to remove God, right? The second commandment is to worship God, but to do it on your own terms and not according to his standards, right? So you're removing him from his own worship. The third commandment is to take his name in vain, which means to simply say you do everything according to Christ, according to God, but you really don't live like it. It's, it's, you're removing him even from your own life. You're not being completely authentic. Fourthly, the Sabbath, right? You can't worship God and then not honor the Sabbath. You, can't, you need to stop and have corporate worship, have rest, times where you uh, come together in fellowship and taking of sacraments, honoring your father and mother. If, how can we say we follow God and keeping him in the center if we despise the very people he's placed to represent him in our lives, right? So we, with each of these, there's a tendency to want to remove God. And with murder, we do it in two ways. One way is a human being is made in the image of God, right? So when you murder a human being, you're removing the image from that person. You're trying to stop God. You think you're trying to get the person, but I would contend that you're actually after God. And secondly, only God is the author of life. So he is the only one who gets to decide when to start and start life. And so as, as children of God made in his image, we view murder and or excuse me, we view life as not something we are the author of. So what does that mean practically? Uh, how do we, I don't think anyone here, I really hope if you are thinking about murdering somebody, please email me. I mean, no, seriously, I would like a heads up, you know, and especially if it's me. Um, but if that's not what's going on, and I'm not trying to, maybe one of you is struggling with that desire, we can talk about that. But another element of murder is unintentional murder where you, um, accidental, negligent homicide is what the state would call it. One of the commentators says, being in a constant hurry, driving aggressively, reacting emotionally to the driving behavior of others, driving while overly tired or under the influence of alcohol, these are tactics that simply demonstrate how in reality we think everything should revolve around our needs. That's pretty convicting. That you know, We get in vehicles and we text and we, we talk, and we don't pay attention. And what we're doing, even in those moments, is we're putting ourselves in a position to where we could be endangering the lives of those around us. So that's another form of murder. I'm going to quickly move through these. The next two are a little bit more difficult and con controversial, and I don't have a lot of time to spend on them. But it is another, another form of murder, is suicide. And that is something that is very hard to grasp. I think um, 
even this week, we know of a very uh, a situation in Oklahoma City where a very prominent person seems to have taken that action. And it has shocked us all. I think all of us, even if we've even, if you're someone that even struggled with it in the past, would probably still look at a situation and go, what was going through your mind at the very end? And suicide is so hard. And in all seriousness, it is a situation that is very prevalent. And we need very much to help each other. And I would love to be aware, if you are struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide, please let me know. But it is a sin. And it's precisely a sin because the key is you and I are not the author of life, not even our own life. We don't even have the freedom to take our own, right? So that's all I'm going to say on that, but I will, I will read another commentator who went a little bit further. This might rub you the wrong way. He says, even personal health, for example, in the face of addiction or bad habits, can be a type of this sin pattern, right? Uh, not just drugs and addictions to drugs and alcohol, but even, he says, people who stray from maybe a prescribed diet if a doctor has told you to eat a certain way for your own health. So, you know, there's just, the, the, the ripple effect of murder goes a long way out. And the last one I'm going to bring up before we jump more into the inner dealings of murder is abortion, which Hunter actually did talk about. Um, but abortion is clearly murder. It's taking the life of an unborn baby. And, it's, and I, don't, it's, I know it's a political hotbed and a lot of debate. And I, if anyone wants to, again, engage into a long conversation, we can do that over coffee, come by the office. Um, but it is interesting that it seems to me that those that are for abortion aren't necessarily even saying it's not alive, the baby's not alive anymore. But often the, this, the idea is based on a choice of a person over their own body. And once again, we have to affirm, we don't have that. God is sovereign. God is the author of life. And we are not free over our own body um, to make all the decisions that we think we get to make. So, wow, heavy, right? All of these have one thing in common. Again, the removal of God. Somehow, some way, murder always comes back to me or you wanting to be God for yourself, right? And so Jesus really, I think, opens it wide open in Matthew 5 when he says, and we've talked about this a year ago, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, do not even be angry with your brother. And so what Jesus is doing is he's opening up this, the real, reality that sin has baby steps, right? You, you don't just one day go from being pure and everything's righteous to murder. There's these baby steps, and one of those steps, he would say, is calling your brother a fool. Now, there's a misconception about, I think, Matthew 5 right there. I, I hear it a lot where someone will say, who am I to judge this person you know, buying a billion-dollar fifth home? I bought a car, and we're all, isn't all sin the same, right? We have this kind of misconception. Because even Jesus says murder and anger are the same, right? Have you heard that before? Well, it's true. Sin is the same in, in, in terms of guilt. All sin has the same amount of guilt associated with it. But pollution of sin clearly has a trajectory of extremes, right? When you drive down the road and it says do not litter or $500 fine, if you threw a piece of gum out and they gave you a $500 fine, it's not because that gum did a tremendous amount of damage. It's because the law realizes if you are someone that would do that, you'll probably do more than that. You'd probably pollute a lot more than you just polluted just now. Or on a windy day, I saw this. It's really windy in Oklahoma this time of year, right? It's like every day is like, oh, when's this going to stop? 
We're on our fourth fence. Not really. Those of you that have driven by know exactly what I'm talking about, by the way. The sack's flying through the air, and it gets really high. That's pollution. But that's nowhere near as bad as, like, if you've been to a dump and seen, like, just a, a tremendous amount of trash and it's circling in the wind. So guilt and pollution are not the same. And for murder, an outward act that we've been talking about is the extreme, but it begins with the small step of hatred and anger. And then in the very next statement, Jesus talks about adultery, which we'll look at next week. So really getting into some fun stuff here. But he talks about how even lusting in your heart is the same in guilt and in substance as the outward act. So to grasp the idea and the meaning of murder, we have to recognize that it starts in the heart, right? And that's that, if we don't get that, we'll never grasp this commandment. That our heart is where it begins and where it festers. So what is the root cause of murder? This is where I love Christianity. I love it for a lot of other reasons. But philosophically speaking, it doesn't just seek to tell you what is true, but it loves to tell you why it's true. And in James 4... He gives one of the greatest explanations of where murder comes from that, I've, that you'll find in the Scripture. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. See, he, he equates murder with quarreling right there, just like Jesus did. But what's fascinating is he explains the reason we fight and the reason we quarrel is our passions are at war within us. And what he, is, what he is saying is, is that when you are thwarted, when your desires are stopped, that's when you murder. That's when you attack. That's when you go for the guttural with the other person. And the question I want you to begin to ponder in your mind is how, not if, but how do you particularly murder? What is it your particular strategy? Do you, do you have bouts of anger? Do you fight? Do you withdraw? Do you freeze people out? Do you ignore them? I mean, that's a very common thing. I'm just going to cut that. Yeah, I don't feel like fighting. I'm just going to, that relationship is now over. Gone. You've murdered. That's like murder, is it not? Through anger, you've stopped it. But the question is now, the, the bigger question that we're looking at is, why do you do it? What are you gaining? What am I gaining with anger? What is it that you're getting from it? Um, it's always somebody in your mind, in your heart, has stepped on what you are going for to live. Remember Mike Tyson and Vander Holyfield fight? I don't even remember what year it was. I remember a group of us paid a lot of money to watch Mike Tyson and Vander Holyfield in the bout of the century. And what, remember Mike Tyson bites the ear of Vander Holyfield? And I remember the announcer going, he is a truly a disturbed individual. And just, you know, we're all like, well, we knew that, but this is weird. Um, later, I did find out that Evander had actually done the same thing in, like, another fight anyway. So it's apparently a boxing strategy. I'll never forget, though, the fight ends. Tyson comes out and does an interview. And I'm not going to try to imitate his voice. But he basically says, look, I have to feed my kids. And I'm thinking... You're going to get $50 million even if you fall on the ground the second the bell rings. And you, you're saying that the reason you bite his ear off is because you have to feed your kids? No. 
What he is saying, what he really means is, that's just the rational way to make you feel better, is that his life was on the line. See, Evander was elbowing Mike Tyson when he would box, and Mike had gashes to show it, and he knew a knockout was imminent. And for him, that's his entire identity, and he had to do anything he could in plain sight to win, and for him, that was in those scrums, or whatever you call them, to start biting on Evander's ear. So that was his action, and his, because of his identity. So what we're doing is going deeper and deeper into what is it that steps on your identity? What are the seedbeds in your life that cause you to react? Maybe you don't bite people's ears off, which I'm very thankful for that. Um, but maybe you would like to. Maybe, you, maybe, you, maybe it's through social media. It's through gossip, right? There's any number of ways you, you take care of people. You take them out in a different ways um, that are types of murder. So how do we end it? How do we, it, we now know that there's a, there are these passions that are at war within us. They um, are opposed to God. The question is, how do we end this? How do we get past this in our life? How do we not get angry? How do we stop slandering? How do we stop tearing people apart? Um, how do we stop when someone cuts us off in traffic becoming just like, does anyone get angry about that? I get really, I want someone to cut me off and I go, I just want, that's what I want. Does anyone want that with me? Just to be easygoing? Okay, Brent does. Thank you. Somebody. Well, the, so how do we do it? The answer is we have, have to come to a place where we not only recognize that someone is stepping on our identity or our idol, but we then have to confess and repent of that idol. I want to remind you of the quote we, we looked at earlier. Um, I'm going to read it again. Joy Davidman says, the only way to get rid of sin is to admit it. I'm going to stop there. Remember that Christianity is radically different than any religion because it says the way up, the way you get better, is by going down. And it makes no sense to our our rational minds. We would think, Ryan, this is the part of the sermon where you give me some techniques. Count to five. Person cuts me off in traffic. One, two. And then you get to five. I'm, I still want to hit them. You know, maybe you count to ten. Well, the Bible says actually die to what's feeding that. Right? Go down. Confess the sin. And, the de- and I'm going to continue reading now. She says, the only way to get rid of sin is to admit it. For without honesty... Repentance, forgiveness, and grace are impossible. The Christian does not go around all the time feeling guilty. It is the unfortunate creature, that's an interesting way to say it, who denies the existence of sin in general and his own in particular, who must go on carrying it. The way to freedom consists in honest confession and repentance that can open our hearts to the Comforter. So what causes fights and what causes quarrels among you? is this, you have replaced God, right? Every one of these commandments is pointing to that, and murder is no different. And God has ceased to be the God of your life for the moment, and you've allowed some other, some other form of righteousness to come in. And the word righteousness, remember, is the longing to be right. It sounds very religious, and of course it is, but it is so basic to human nature that we all want to be right. I mean, look at children correct each other. Over the sim- and, and adults, by the way, we all we just have kind of learned to go. I'm not going to correct that person because it's not becoming. 
but we really want to, right? I want to correct your information. You're wrong. Let me tell you where you're wrong. I want to be right. And the scriptures say that the only way to be right is through Christ, right? Um, in, in Romans 10, Christ is called the, the end of the struggle for righteousness. He's the end of the law for righteousness. In other words, now in Christ, the law has been completely met. And what we have to recognize is when we're angry, when we are murdering people in our hearts, when we are fixated on, on um, the problems in our relationships, we are, not, we are not resting in the righteousness of Christ, but in our own righteousness. And it's a struggle, right? And this is where I want to spend a few moments. What is the, this is the weird terminology I'm going to use. What is the seedbed, seedbed of your struggles? What are you trying to go after for your identity? Does that make, here's, let me give you a couple of examples. How are you trying to be righteous? So one example would be the struggle for attainment. All of us have that. We all want to attain something in our careers, in our relationships, even in our religion. Many of us want to add religious practices to feel better. Oftentimes we'll th- say things like, I'm going to start reading my Bible, and what we mean is, I want to be a better Christian. What we don't usually mean, unfortunately, is I want to be closer to Jesus. You see the difference? And so if I start reading my Bible more, I'll f- even if I don't tell you about it, I'll feel it. And in conversations, it'll give me power and authority because I'll feel better about who I am. And then when I don't read my Bible... I'll feel worse. The day isn't going well. I feel guilty because I set a goal, a religious goal, but I failed. You see what ha- even good things uh, can be used to beat us up. So the struggle for attainment. And there's a many, many other examples. Also, the struggle for reputation. I think this is huge. Um, what is your reputation? Are you a leader? Are you a doer? Are you the comedian? Right? Are you the listener? What, what is your reputation? We, we all have them, whether we know it or not, and we long to, to feed them. We want people to respect them. And if someone steps on our reputation, we become undone. It's because we have built our foundation on the wrong righteousness, right? Another one is appearance. Now, thankfully, that's not a problem in this room. So, I'm just kidding. Come on. Come on. I'm kidding. You're all beautiful. It's amazing. Um, Okay, I just thought we needed a little levity for a second. Appearance. We struggle with, or we want to look better. We want our bodies to look better. We want our clothes to look better. We want our Facebook posts to look better. I, I secretly think people go on vacation just for the Facebook posts, you know? It's like, I haven't had an update lately. Where's the nearest lake, you know? Uh, maybe there's an Expedia deal. We want to appear to have it together. We want our homes to look like we have it together. We want our cars and our, our hobbies, everything to to define us. Everybody in this room, we know this is true about us. And these are the seedbeds of our identity. These are, our, these are what we're struggling for. And as long as we struggle in these ways, when they are thwarted, when something goes against them, how do we do, what do we do? We, we murder. We get angry. Right? Okay. You like a clean house. Your husband doesn't like a clean house. They leave something out. What, I should have reversed that, shouldn't I? Uh, husbands, you want a clean house. Your wife doesn't. Um, what do you do? You imme- Okay, let me use me. Forget the clean house example. I like to be on time. I've told everyone, everyone knows that. What, 
I hate to say this because the next time someone's late, they'll is Ryan doing that to me? Uh, but when someone's late, I'm like, what's going on? Why are they late? Why did they do a minute? Even one minute, I'm starting to panic. Did this thing get canceled? Did I miss it? But it's far worse when I'm going to be late. If you make me late, I just start feeling like my entire identity is melting before your very eyes. I am no longer a whole person anymore. And I get mad. And my anger comes out. And maybe I've learned to curb it, but it's in there. Does that make sense? I'll do one more that's self-deprecating. And I hate this because my kids are here. But I bought these Brita water things. And we fill them up and put them in the fridge, and they're ice-cold, filtered water. Okay, I cannot tell you. This is, I walk up to them, and they're empty. I'm like, they're in the fridge, and they're empty. They're just bone-dry plastic things in this fridge. Now, here's what's really bad, is I can't tell you how often I've, like, emptied it and thought, well, they're mine. I can put it back. You know, I'm the one that, I'm the one that started the water process at our house. But it's, it creates anger, right? It creates someone thwarted me. This was something I wanted. This was something I was excited about for health and for convenience. And someone stopped it, and I get mad. And so I want to erect new laws and rules, and, and, and yeah, I'm just as guilty. And we do it in a trillion different ways, right? But here's the reality. Whether it's much bigger things that we didn't want to joke about or these funny little ways, what makes it really broken is that that becomes Jesus to you. Me having ice cold water becomes more important than Jesus. And the real question is, how important is Jesus to you? Is he everything to you? That's what the Ten Commandments are really getting at. That's what the Bible is getting at. We, we can't play the game. You can't be a Christian a little bit. I'm not saying you aren't going to heaven. Hear me out. I'm not saying you may not be saved. But what I am saying is the scriptures are clear. Jesus, when he comes in and saves you, he saves you entirely. Right? You are a new person. And so we're going to celebrate Easter in a few weeks. And what does Easter celebrate? Not only did Jesus go down into the grave, we went with him. We are no longer alive as we once were. So those, those seed beds that we just talked about aren't yours anymore. You've been raised with Christ. Can you imagine if you had, I used to work at a restaurant, I cleaned dishes, for example, and I quit years ago. But from time to time, I just wander in, and I start doing the dishes again. Wouldn't that be weird? Like, what do you do? Oh, I used to work here. We don't even use that thing anymore. Get out, right? We do this all the time in our heart. We are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. But we want to go live like the old one. We want to go back to where we were and live in that, that dirty, rotten existence. Not that restaurants are that, but you get the picture. Jesus, you've died with him, but you've also been raised with him. And you are brand new. And now, the freedom of Christ has come if you believe it. Even if you are struggling to believe it, it's true of you if you're in Christ. Even if you're over wallowing in the seedbed and you're in Christ, it's still true of you. And your job and my job is to repent of our incessant desire to go back and wallow in our stuff and live in Christ. And what would that look like? We would love our neighbor. They would no longer threaten us anymore. That's the reason you don't love people. Not because they're boring, which maybe they are, so are you, so am I, or whatever the issue. It's because they threaten you. 
And as soon as that threat's removed, you can see the image of God in them again. You can see how you could love them and how you could build a relationship and we can love one another, especially the ones that are hard to love. But only in the gospel. Is that your reality? Is that where you are going? Are you clinging to Jesus? So, really practical and I'll close. When you're angry, the next time it happens, or if you go home today, take a few minutes to think about a particular time or a particular situation where you're struggling with anger. Now, I would really, I would write it out. What's the situation? I would write out, how am I responding? Am I freezing them out? Um, am I, do I, is it an outburst? What is it? And then I would go deeper. Just keep digging a little deeper. What is it that's being threatened? And what would it look like if Jesus all of a sudden meant everything like he does? How would I treat that person? How, that, how might that relationship or that situation be redeemed? And it might already be. You might have already gotten beyond that situation and made up. But still, what would it look like if that same, same thing happened again? And only this time you handled it completely with Christ. Does that mean you let people walk all over you? Maybe. I want to say no, but maybe. Jesus certainly did, in a way, right? He went to the cross. And, the, and there are going to be times where you want to respond and you know to forgive. Of all the people who ever lived, Jesus would be the one to say, I don't have to forgive. And he does. Why do we keep not forgiving? Why do we keep murdering others? Run to Jesus. Find yourself in him. Apply it to these areas of anger. And my prayer for this church is that we will love each other better than anybody loved each other in this town. And that would be attractive to Stillwater. Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, I, I'm the most guilty of everything we just talked about, and so it's very hard to be a preacher at times like these. Lord, I pray you would cure my anger. I pray you would cure our anger, Father. And not just our anger, Lord, our, our views on, on life in general, that we would love the unborn, that we would see your love for us even when we're struggling in depression, that we would reach out to other people if we're hurting, and Father, that our relationships would be healed. Your gospel is true. Hallelujah. That you are a real Holy Spirit. And that you come and you change. That we no longer have to wallow in these dead seedbeds of sin. And we can walk in righteousness and newness of life. And Lord, even as we walk in newness of life, we're going to struggle with unbelief. We're going to still wonder if it's true. Thank you for the faith you give us. That it is true. Teach us not to look at ourselves like Peter sinking in the water. Teach us to gaze on you. That all of our relationships would be filled with the fruit that comes from your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.